Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Carrick Butler, the pastor of Faith Christian Center. Thanks for tuning in today. We believe today's message is going to help you live this lifestyle of faith. It's going to empower you to live a life that makes Jesus famous wherever you go. Open up your heart. We know God has something special just for you. And we believe that as you listen to today's message, something good is going to happen to you. So listen up. I'll talk to you today at the end of our broadcast. Well, go with me to Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. very familiar passage. has been the foundation passage for this series. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. This is Jesus speaking to us. And it says, you are the light of the world. So, you know, as we've said in the series, if you don't like how dark the world is, change it. He said, well, didn't Jesus say he's the light of the world? Yes, he says, as long as I'm here, I'm the light of the world. So what does that imply? When he ascended, it's our job. Now, we know the greater one himself lives within us. The only reason we can be light is because Jesus lives on the inside of us. But it's not up to God for us to shine. That responsibility and privilege has been placed upon us. So if we don't like how dark the world gets, we shouldn't cry about it, whine about it, we should do something about it. You know, one of the things that I don't think is good theology or even good eschatology, which means the study of the end times, is that when something bad happens, they think, oh, Jesus must be coming back. But do you know that's not something bad happening? It's not the ultimate sign of Jesus coming back? It says when the gospel is preached to the entire world, then he comes back. Not because there's a pandemic. Not because there's an earthquake. Not just because there's a hurricane. Not because it gets dark. So a lot of us, people's response I've seen all over social media, whoo, something bad's happened. Jesus must be coming back this year. And so what do they do? They hide, waiting for Jesus to do a black ops mission to come in and get them and take them home. Now, I believe in the return of the Lord. And the day is getting closer and closer. Jesus is coming back for his church, a glorious church, filled with light, without spot or wrinkle. Ephesians 5 tells us that. We see it all throughout the New Testament. But our response to bad and trouble shouldn't be, oh, Jesus must be coming soon. It shouldn't make us run away and hide. Because we say it's good theology, but really we're hiding from the dark. You remember, there was this TV show when I was growing up, are you, are you afraid of the dark? Are you still afraid of the dark? Because we've masked our fear of the dark in theology. Well, Jesus is coming back, so you know it's going bad, so, you know, let's just wait. Well, it's always been this way, so let's just wait. You know, I like to call that, see, one of my favorite secular guitarists is John Mayer. And he has this song called Waiting on the World to Change. And a lot of us have taken our Christianity to that. We're just waiting on the world to change. Just keep on waiting. I'm not going to sing the rest because he sings a lot better than I do. But that's what we do. We just wait for it to change. Well, either Jesus is going to do it, or we'll just wait for the rapture. Yep, that, that injustice is bad, but it's always been bad. Yep, that oppression is bad, it's always been bad. Yep, economic times are bad. Yep, 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 that's bad. Man, did you hear what they're teaching in school these days? Yep, that's bad. 
Well, come on, Jesus. It's afraid of the dark. It's the theology of a quitter. I like what John G. Lake said. Christianity is the belief system of the strong man. That we dare to challenge the darkness, believing the Bible saying if you resist the devil, he will flee. That we believe that we're actually called to make a difference. That we can actually make a difference. That whatever spectrum or mountain of society you're called to be in, you can actually make a difference. That you're actually what verse 13 says, the salt of the earth. Salt is a preservative. And so in that time, they didn't have refrigerators. The way they kept food to last long is put salt on it. Now, some of us put salt on now because we just like the way it tastes. But for them, it was a more practical reason. And so we preserve the earth. So the earth cannot be destroyed as long as we are here. Now, we could do a lot of bad things to the earth and make it a bad place to be, but it can't be completely destroyed because we're here. So if we have that preservative power just by existing, just because we draw breath, how much more if we actually stood up and said, no, we don't want that. No, we're not standing for that. No, you are going to change that. No, no, we, we don't endorse that. Because we're light. We're salt. We can actually make a difference. As individuals, we can make a difference. But together as a church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can make an even bigger difference. But we can't run and hide. Yes, we believe the rapture's coming, but we're not hiding in our closet waiting for it. When Jesus comes back, let him find us doing what he called us to do. Not be like the person who said, well, Jesus, I thought you were coming back, so I've hid for the last 50 years of my life. That can't be it. We have to stand up. This is supposed to be the finest hour for the church. Why? We're the light of the world. One of the things they realize, they need the light more than ever. They're coming to realization they need us more than ever. But we actually have to be the light. We have to actually step up to the challenge. It says, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick that it may give light to all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You know, the other translation, the message version, where I got the title of the series from, The God Spectrum, is, now that I put you there on a hilltop on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. But the first part of the verse says, here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. One of the things we have to understand is God has called us to unity, not uniformity. God has called us to unity, not uniformity. Our culture and we all have different cultures in here. It's not supposed to die at the foot of the cross. Our culture is supposed to be submitted at the foot of the cross. Why? Because as we submit our culture and the own different things that make us us and our background, the light of God can shine through it and reflect his goodness in different ways. Where we say that there's a light spectrum, we talk about all the beautiful colors. The God spectrum, there's many beautiful colors of our personalities, of our giftings and our backgrounds that God wants to shine through. Because a lot of people think that when you come to Jesus, you lose your culture. That's not even good theology. Because when you remember in the book of Revelation, 
God points out every nation, tribe, and tongue. He points out culture before the throne. And he loves it. He loves diversity. Look at how we made even the natural world. So God wants to shine through you. He doesn't want you to copy somebody else. You were born an original. Please don't die a copy. Jesus wants to be Jesus in you, not a copy of you. I like what Joyce Meyer said one day. She says, you're never more anointed than when you're being yourself. God has anointed you to be you. He did not anoint your facade. He didn't anoint who you pretend to be. He anointed you. So be you. So, well, pastor, this part of me that need a change. Yep, I'm sure it is. So yield in those areas and let God work on you. We've been talking about the fruit of the Spirit through Minister AJ's messages. Yield to those fruit. Isaiah 60 says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people, but the Lord shall rise upon you, and his glory shall be seen upon you you and the Gentiles, those who don't know God, those who don't have a covenant with God, will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. One of the things about you being light and letting God shine through you is other people will be attracted to it. They'll see you have something that they don't. They may not even be able to put their finger on it. They may not even know the religious words to say. They just know there's something different about your life, and I want it. And that light can be seen in whatever you do. See, that's one of the greatest evangelistic tools you have. Live before God. Do good. Manifest the goodness of God. Know that the glory is on you, and the glory is in you, that you're not a mistake going somewhere to happen or a problem going somewhere to happen. You are a miracle going somewhere to happen. Start thinking of yourself as an answer to prayer wherever you go. Because, you know, you have loved ones that you're praying for. It's like, God, they, they ooh, you know how they live in. Send the right person, because Jesus told us to pray for laborers. Send the right labor. Send the right person across their path to talk to them and the way they can get it so they can be saved. Anybody pray that for their loved ones? But what if you're that person for someone else? that you just happen to be the person and your background and your culture and the way you talk and the way you think and your accent and the way you dress. You just happen to be the person that person needed to hear from. And you just let God move through you. You said, oh, most people don't like my essential disease. It doesn't matter. God loves you. And there's somebody who needs to hear from you. You know, one of the things, you know, I see, you know, growing up, and I see the couple, I remember I talked to them about maybe four or five years ago, is that, you know, one of the things I grew up, I liked comic books. I liked the Marvel, so before the Marvel movies came out, the characters, I knew about those characters for decades. Me and my brother collected comic books. We loved all the superheroes. We liked Star Wars and all the sci-fi things. And you know what I found it interesting? The longer I became a pastor, God started bringing those people to the church. Other people who liked that. And I remember I had one couple, and they came and they said, Hey, that message, it was filled with references. I don't usually do that many references, but that message happened to be. And it was exactly what they needed to hear because they liked it too. It was something in me that God used to bring other people to him. 
So there may be some things that you like that everybody thinks, well, who would like that? But you do, and somebody else does, and God shine his light through it, will bring others to himself. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. God knows exactly how he made you, how he crafted you. He knows how you think. He knows your life experiences, and he wants to shine his light through that. Heal the areas where you've been wounded and hurt. Fix the areas where you haven't yielded to him yet, and so you can be a vessel of his glory so other people can come to know him. By you being you, not copying someone else. We're after unity, not uniformity. We're after reconciliation. We all walk together, and God can do things through us together. Let's go to Colossians 4. Verse 6. Colossians chapter 4, verse 6. The New Living Translation says it this way, let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. So if your conversation is filled or seasoned with grace, as it talks about in another translation, it'll be attractive and bring other people to it. The message version says it this way, be gracious in your speech. The goal is to bring out the best in others in a conversation, not put them down, not cut them out. The goal is to bring out the best in others in a conversation, not put them down, not cut them out. And God can do that through your speech, through your conversations, through your tweets, and your TikToks, and your Instagram reels, and your Facebook posts, and your Snapchat, through your FaceTimes, through your Zoom calls. It's not just in person. See, one of the things that was a problem to the church until a lot of people this year is that for whatever reason, we thought God couldn't use technology. But this year, aren't we glad that God knew how to use technology? I like to think about the Apostle Paul and how innovative he was. You don't think the Apostle Paul wouldn't have done FaceTime? He wouldn't have done a Zoom meeting? You know he would have been uh, doing a Zoom conference for the church at Corinth. Every night. It's like every night and every morning, I want y'all to log in. He used the best technology he had at the time, a pen and a paper. So be light in everything, whether it's in person, whether it's online, and whatever you do, let the light of God shine through you. Ephesians 5, verse 8, and I'm going to hand it over. Ephesians 5 and 8. The New American Standard says this way, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. The fruit of the light. Another translation says, for this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. And that's what the fruit of the Spirit does. And I'm going to hand it over to Minister AJ to share more about that. Welcome her as she comes. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Glory to God. All right, family, we are continuing learning about the fruit of the Spirit. Can anybody tell me what fruit we're on this week? 
Let's see, so far we've covered love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. What comes after faith? Meekness. Thank you, Miss Gwen. Well, we're looking at meekness. Turn to your neighbor, say, good morning, neighbor. We're looking at meekness. Find another neighbor, say, good morning, neighbor. So glad to see you. We're learning about meekness. All right, put your hand over your heart and say, self, I'm learning about meekness. All right, praise God. Well, we're looking at the word meekness. Now, I know that as I've looked at the word meekness or I've heard it mentioned over the years, it always put me in the mindset of a quiet, uh, gentle person or somebody who didn't say a whole lot. Um, we've learned that meekness um, means a person that's teachable. But as I studied through, studied and looked the word meekness up, I got a bigger definition of what it actually means and what Father God wants us to understand. When you look, I looked at the Webster's 1828 Dictionary, and for those who are not familiar with that, that is one of the original dictionaries that Noah Webster created. Noah Webster was a man who loved God, was anointed of God, and he looked to the Word of God to help him define words. And so when you read through the 1828 Dictionary, you'll see the original definitions that many of the current uh, dictionaries have just taken the Word of God completely out. They watered them down. But the word meekness in uh, the 1828 dictionary says a mild or says mild of temper so meekness is referring to your temper how you respond and react to negative situations it means meek of temper it means soft and gentle and here's one that that really stood out to me not easily provoked or irritated let me say that again. Not easily provoked or irritated. So when you think about somebody that's meek, now I, I thought about it as a balloon. Now I have two daughters and I grew up the little sister, you know, I had an older brother. And, you know, we used to mess with each other. We used to always get on each other's nerves and do stuff that, you know, each other couldn't stand. But I thought about it and I said, well, how, what's an example of, you know, somebody who's not easily irritated? It's almost like having a giant balloon and a little pin. That little pin can be the irritation or the thing that's bugging you or just, it just gets under your skin and you can't stand it. And so what does that balloon do? Or what does that little pin do? It takes that balloon and goes, pow! So here you have this huge balloon and this little tiny irritation that just caused the balloon to explode. And I wanted to bring that in here, but I know that some have a issue with hearing balloons explode. Um, and so I thought about that and I was like, wow. Now that's totally different than having a basketball or a soccer ball. If you take a little tiny pin to a soccer ball, is anything gonna happen? No, nothing noticeable. And so you have the balloon that has a flimsy exterior, and then you have a soccer ball that has a firm, a tough exterior, meaning one can't hold up under pressure. The other one keeps going without, without any noticeable changes. And so when Father God wants us to walk in meekness, he's not looking, at, looking to us to walk with the posture of our head down and, and just bowing down to everything. That's not what it's saying. So turn with me now to Luke chapter 4, because I want to give you a, the, one of the greatest personifications of meekness that the Word of God records. 
Jesus told us to look at him as our example. He was meek and lowly in heart, but that meekness didn't mean that he was weak. By no means was he weak. And so what you'll see here in Luke chapter 4, this was Jesus had uh, uh, told the disciples, or actually if you begin at the beginning of uh, Luke chapter 4, you'll see that this chronicles when Jesus was tempted in, uh, tempted in the desert. The devil came and he tempted him um, uh, with, the, uh, with, you know, take this bread, take the water, etc. And Jesus told him that he, basically his life was going to be built on the word of God. And so he didn't give in to the enemy's temptation. Then it goes on in Luke chapter four, verse 18, where Jesus talks about how the anointing, how the spirit of the Lord was upon him because God had anointed him to preach the gospel to the poor. Even as I sat and I read verse 18, I noticed something. When Jesus was talking about how the anointing rested upon him, notice the audience that he said that the anointing rested on, on him for. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. I'm looking at Luke chapter four, verse 18. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the broke, people that don't have any money, the poor. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, people that are having emotional challenges. He has sent me to preach deliverance to the captives, somebody that's bound, that has issues. It can be a physical captive. It can be an emotional captive. It can be a mental captive. But the bottom line is there is something hindering that person from moving freely. Recovering of sight to the blind. You can look at it as physical blindness or spiritual blindness. And to set at liberty them that are bruised. So Jesus said the anointing was upon him to deal with people that had issues. So he realized that there was an anointing. There was a power from God upon his life to minister to these people and deliver them from what was binding them. So then as you go down a little bit further, I love Jesus because he, he walked in such boldness. He took, the, he took the scroll, he rolled it up, he set it down. He says, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And so what happened? The religious teachers of his day, they looked around, they were like, who is this dude? Ain't his daddy Uncle Joe? Like, who does he think he is talking to us like this and going to say that the scripture is fulfilled right now? And so Jesus went on to give them more prophetic examples of how he actually was the word of God. He gave them some Old Testament examples, but he told them, let's look at verse um, 28. He says, and all they, or actually, and all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, they were filled with wrath. Jesus basically lined up from the word of God, like, yeah, I'm, I'm who I say I am. Basically, like, I don't know why y'all mad, but this, this is what God prophesied. I'm the fulfillment of the prophecy. Boom, there you go. Drop the mic. Okay? I love it. And so what happened? The religious leaders got swole. They were furious. The word tells us here in verse 28, they were filled with wrath or filled with rage. And they rose up and thrust him out of the city. That means that's like Pastor Kerry being here on stage. Men coming and bum rushing Pastor Kerry, not only carrying him out the building, but taking him out the city. They took Jesus, it says here in verse 29, they rose up, thrust him out of the city, led him to the brow of a hill, whereupon their city was built, that they might cast him down headlong. They were trying to throw Jesus off the cliff. How did he respond? Verse 30, but he, passing through the midst of them, went his way. 
So you got a mob of people that are trying to take his life. What did Jesus do? He walked right on through them. That's the personification of meekness. That's the personification of a person who has a mild temper. Because if you, if you look at the life of Jesus, you'll see time and time again where he says, I could have called a legion of angels down. I had angels, a host of heavenly angels at my disposal that could have come at any moment to wipe you out. But I didn't. When he was on the cross, he could have easily asked God to take me off of this cross. But he said, I didn't. Why? Because you needed me. So when you understand meekness, here's one of the, the uh, awesome definition I found from John Maxwell, and it basically says strength under control. Meekness is strength under control. And then I, I, when I thought about that, I was like, hmm, that's almost like saying I could say more, but I won't. In other words, my response to you can be quick, can be sharp, can be cutting. You say something to me, oh, no, I'm not the one. But a meek person, what do they do? I know I can say more. I know I can do more. I know I can respond with more force, but I choose not to. I choose not to. It's almost like this. Now, of course, you guys didn't think I would be here without any props, did you? <laughs> All right. I have two things, fire and water. When you think about fire, fire, once it's lit in the, in the wild, it is very hard to control. Right now, unfortunately, in the, city of, or in the state of California, there's what's going on, wildfires. And once a wildfire starts, or once a fire starts in a wooded area, it usually consumes thousands upon thousands of land or a percentage of land from where it started. If you think about the size of a match and you think about the thousands of acres it can burn in days time, what started off as small results in a massive amount of destruction. But on the other hand, or conversely, when you look at water, what does it do? It refreshes, it quenches, it dis extinguishes. And so what Father God is asking us to do where meekness is concerned, he says, listen, your tongue is like a fire. Once that fire is lit, it is going to put something in motion that is going to cause severe destruction. So instead of using your tongue as fire to snap back at people or clap back at people or whatever the latest phrase is, he says, I'm not looking for your tongue to be your tongue to be fire. I want your spirit to be on fire, burning with the flame of the Holy Ghost so that when people come in contact with you, they're coming in contact with the power of God. That's the fire that's supposed to burn in us. Now, when you look at water, water is easily uh, moldable, meaning it can be hot, it can be cold, it can be frozen, when you turn water on in a tap, what does it do? It comes down and it takes the shape. It becomes adaptable to whatever container you put it in. If I take water and I douse it with douse a, a, a fire or douse logs with it, that log cannot burn. 
So when you walk in meekness, I need you to consider that you are flowing and operating as water. You're there to bring refreshment to someone. You're there to quench the fire of the enemy that's burning on the inside of them. So instead of you being the one that's responding just like the world, you need to instead remember that Jesus, who had every right to respond, he chose not to. Jesus demonstrated strength under control. That is meekness. Amen? Thank you. That's my time. Because for the last time, I have to follow up Minister AJ. Yes. Oh, good morning. Good morning. All right. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 8. And then, like I said, I will wrap up my portion of this God spectrum. For those of all who are asking, um, my wife and I, we are resting in intervals. <laughs> Two and a half hours, you know. Um, wife is sleeping a little bit less than I am, but, you know, we are resting. Please pray for our strength. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's all good. No, it's been totally fun. Baby boy is doing a lot better. Uh, we had that appointment Monday. I think I told you all this past weekend about his arm and everything came came back good. So, thank you, really appreciate that, really appreciate that. Yeah, I wasn't trying to pay that PT, so thank God. Um, Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12. I've had the privilege of talking about um, grace gifts, and the more I studied this out, honestly, I just simply think these are opportunities that God will express himself through us. And I say that because, like, if you really look at what these gifts are, so for instance, the first one is prophecy. We all are called to prophesy. So it may not be, you may not have the platform to speak to multitudes of people. Yours may be two or three people, but you are still have that same grace available to you. The other one may be talking about serving others. We all are called to serve others. When is the time for you to serve, there's a grace for that. The next one talks about teaching. Lord have mercy. Lord, please bless all the teachers. And not only those who are teaching virtually now or those that go in person, those teachers we call parents. There is a grace for that. And so, like, as I look at these, once again, I think these are more opportunities for God to manifest his strength through you or us not so much saying that this is the only thing that you have. I almost look at it as situational things, which brings me to this very last one. Romans chapter 12, verse 8, it says, um, and if your gift is showing kindness, or in the King James Version, giving mercy, do so with gladness. So when I think about mercy, I grew up Baptist, and so when I think about grace and mercy, we always had this saying, grace is God sparing you, now God give you what you don't deserve, sparing what you actually do deserve. So I was like, okay, that means nothing to me. Like, what exactly does mercy mean? So um, I dove into it just a hair, and this particular definition really jumped out to me. Mercy, to offer assistance or support in times of hardship and distress to the afflicted. To help those who are in an unhappy or an unfortunate state. So basically, when God presents you the opportunity to help somebody else, even though it may be stopping you doing what you have to do during that particular day, 
be led by the Spirit, and do it with gladness. Personally, this, um, this summer, not only have I been tag teaming on this one, but I've had the opportunity to, uh, to lead small groups twice in Marietta, and then yesterday, I think I may have talked myself into a partnership with a school in APS. I know, right? Uh, God is blessing this house. I just get to be the first person actually doing it. So I was talking to the principal yesterday, and she was like, thank you so much for coming. Please pray, 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 pray. I'm like, that's easy. You know, we're people of prayer. But then she kept talking. She was like, hey, would you stand with us for justice? And it was interesting because once you hear stuff like that, it's like, okay, what are we talking about? What's going on? And it was more what she did not say that tugged my heart. Because like there's a certain tone that somebody is like, I've been fighting for so long for the opportunity to be seen, heard, noticed. And with her particular school, she was talking about the, the state of the facilities in which they have to send kids to. Not only that, there's a lot of challenges within their, okay. This school, we went and prayed on yesterday. Uh, I'm sorry, I, didn't, I did not tell you all. This past month, we had the blessing of praying over schools. Uh, we personally prayed about 35 to 40 schools. All right, so this particular school here, she called us and she asked us like, hey, would you pray the demons out of our school? So like the last couple of weeks, I mean, I was talking to Brother Jordan about it. I mean, we've been fighting spiritually. And honestly, I'm, I'm tired, but I'm more pissed off now than I was when I first started. I'm just completely pissed off now. So I apologize in advance if I'm a little bit on edge because now my heart is breaking for the people who are not in here. Because a lot of times what happens is this. Once we hear mercy, we put that on God only. God extend grace, God extend mercy. But we look at Romans chapter 12, it's like when if you have been given the gift or opportunity to extend mercy to someone else, so now God is saying, when the world is looking for me, I'm going to send. All right, let's try that again. When God is saying, the world is looking for me, I'm going to send. So the question is this, will you be there? Will you be counted? And are you willing and obedient to God to be used by him and accept what he's given you as you go, his grace? Sadly, and this is not this church, I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about the church in general. A lot of times the answer to that question is no. We don't want to do that. And I think it's because Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. A lot of times the answer is honestly no. So Matthew chapter 9, this is like, I like reaching out to people and helping people, particularly outside the four walls, because I believe the gospel works. Because if I didn't believe the gospel works, I would not be a minister. I would be in politics. Ask my friends when I was growing up. And so we have this particular passage that's always tugged at my heart. Matthew chapter 9, 35, we'll start there. Jesus traveled throughout all the towns and villages of the area, teaching in the synagogue. I think I left my phone. 
Hey, would you bring my phone, please? Teaching in the synagogue and announcing the, thank you, sir. Announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is great or the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his field. Verse, chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus called his 12 disciples together, gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness. Now, there are three things I'll point out really, really quickly. In this particular text, this is a crowd. They had just heard the word because Jesus was preaching. They heard him preaching. They heard him teaching. Someone had just been healed. And so Jesus is still looking at the multitude of people. And he's saying, look, disciples, people who are learning from me, following my example, trying to be more like me, it's more people out there. So will you first care? Will you become aware of their affliction, aware of their feelings of helplessness and confusion? Will you pause with that first? Second part is tripped out to me. Will you pray? that God will send more people to come and do what needs to get done. Not more people to get saved, because he said the harvest is plentiful. But there are, are not enough people to go there to meet that need. So this summer has been heavy on me. I got show me how to be someone that goes to meet that particular need. Teach me how to harvest. I, I'm sorry, I missed all of this past year's thing, the year of abundant harvest. It just hit me this year. So I apologize. Hey, I'm not the only one. <laughs> so yeah, learning how to harvest. Like this year, it just hit me harder because it made sense. Like okay, so first he said care. Second he said pray. Then the third part for me is always funny, because I have this picture of the people. They're going out. They're sitting there. They're praying. Father God, send laborers. Send people across their path. Father God, send that right person that's, that is wearing the right thing, saying the right thing across that person's path. Then Jesus said, okay, stop praying. Chapter ten, verse one. I give you the authority. I give you the grace. You go out there and look at what he told them to do. You go out there and you cast out the demons. So everybody, you take, please, would you please just raise the hands up in front and raise your own hands up and say, with these hands, I can cast out devils and heal every type of illness and disease. Let that sink in for, for a moment. With your hands, you can lay hands on the sick. Because there are people that God is like, look, I have placed them across your path, up in your circle. They will receive from you. But the question is, will you share with them? Will you extend mercy? Or is one of the things like, you better call Jesus because I don't know, man. I ain't there yet. And unfortunately, too many times, that's been the answer of the church. So please, I'm about to step aside, but I want to leave you with this great poem that was put to a beat with rhythm to it. This particular poet said, hold me like the River Jordan. 
and I will say to thee, you are my friend. Care me like you are my brother. Love me like a mother, will you be there? When weary, tell me you will hold me. When wrong, will you scold me? When lost, will you find me? But they told me a man should be faithful and walk when not able and fight till the end of time, but I'm only human. Everyone's taking control of me. Seems like the world has got a role for me. I'm so confused. Will you show to me you will be there for me and care enough to bear me? Go with me to 1 Corinthians 12. First Corinthians 12. And so Minister AJ talked about the fruit of the Spirit. Minister Reggie's talking about the grace gifts, and I'm talking about the gifts of the Spirit. And so far, we've looked at the gifts of healing. We've talked about word of knowledge and word of wisdom and discerning of spirits and the gift of prophecy. And so let's do, let's go a little bit further. But I want to do a brief review to point out this one thing. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you to be ignorant, which means uninformed or unaware. Now, one of the things, if you're looking at a physical Bible, you see here in the King James that the word gifts is italicized, which means it was added by the translators hoping to bring clarity. Sometimes it helps, sometimes it doesn't. Because it was added by the translator, you can take it out. And so when you take it out, now concerning spiritual, and you look up that word in Greek, it means things relating to the spirit. A lot of times when we see the spiritual gifts person, we think, well, everything we're going to see in chapter 12 is about spiritual gifts. No. More accurately, it's about things relating to the spirit. You will see spiritual gifts, but you also see ministry gifts. You also see the way of love in 1 Corinthians 13. So these are things relating to the spirit, not just gifts of the spirit. Because what happens in our modern-day understanding, if it's only about gifts of the Spirit, only a certain person may have this gift, so a couple of these chapels don't apply to me. But if they're relating to the Spirit of God, and you're a believer, that means you have the Spirit of God on the inside of you, it all applies to you. Say, it applies to me. So let's skip down to verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all, or causes all to be better together. The gifts of the Spirit things relating to the Spirit and how the Spirit reveals and displays himself will cause all of us as believers, not one individual to get better, but all of us to get better together. So what he's going to talk about in chapter 12, 13, and 14 causes us all to get better together. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. But all these work with the one and selfsame Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he wills. Notice one of the biggest themes in those few verses, the Spirit. It's not even the nine gifts we just read. The Holy Spirit. He's the big deal. We just happen to house the big deal. The big deal lives in us. Say, the big deal himself lives in us. John calls him the greater one. He's on the inside of us. And so he's the one who has all these gifts. But he decides which gift a person operates in. There's nine different gifts. And as he wants them to happen, they happen. Now, when you look at the Romans 12 gifts and you look at the fruit of the Spirit, those can happen anytime you decide. But the gifts of the Spirit happen when He decides. 
So you say, well, I need a leading of God to walk in love. No, you don't. You have a command. Do it. Or I need a leading of the Holy Ghost to walk in patience with that person. No, you have a command. Do it. Or I, no, I need a leading of God to walk in meekness. No, you have a command. And you heard Minister AJ today, so do it. Oh, I need the Holy Ghost to tell me to show mercy. You just heard Minister Reggie. Just do it. It's already there. But the gifts of the Spirit happen as he wants them to, and it's our job to make ourselves available to him so that he can use us. And we've been talking about that in this series. And so today, we're going to talk about two gifts that, well, before we even say that, one of the things about the gifts of the Spirit, if one is supernatural, then they're all supernatural. If one is natural, then they're all natural. These are supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, what happens when people don't see them manifest that often, they try to come up with a natural understanding. Well, the gifts of healing are about the doctors. No, no, it's not. He, if he said that, he would have said, well, for doctors, I equipped them to do this. God is not against doctors. Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke and Acts, was a doctor. But that's not what the gifts of healing is talking about. Well, discerning of spirits is really discernment. I just know somebody's suspicious. No, you just suspicious yourself. It's no gift of discernment. It's discerning of spirits. It means seeing into the spirit world. And so when we talk today about diverse kinds of tongues and interpretation, it's not talking about people who are skilled in learning multiple languages. That's not what it's talking about. Now, thank God for the gifting, the wisdom he gives people to know multiple languages. I'm really grateful for them when I travel overseas because they can translate and I don't have to. I'm grateful for that gift, especially when you have a good translator who can go with you. Are you preaching at the same time, them moving with you? It's awesome. But it's not talking about an ability to learn French or Spanish or Mandarin. It's a supernatural language. And what happens is we have in our culture is we see one thing and we just pile them all together. We do that with grace. You know, there's over 19 different definitions of grace. And so we don't always look at the scriptural context. And we say, well, this must be talking about favor. It didn't say that in the context. The context may be talking about power. And we do the same thing with tongues. And so we pile it all together. And then one of the things you see is how much the enemy hates speaking in tongues. If he did it, he wouldn't oppose it. He will fight it from secular people. He'll fight it from religious people. He'll fight it from Christians. He hates it. Now, if he hates it, that must mean it's kind of dangerous to him. So let's look at what the Bible says because the Bible, when it talks about tongues, talks about multiple things, at least three different things. So let's look at it. Let's skip down to verse 28. And God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles and gifts of healing, helps, governments, diversities of tongues, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, have all the gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but, earn, but covet earnestly the best gifts, yet I will show you a more excellent way. Now, first off, when you get to verse 28, it's not talking about the order of importance or a hierarchy in God's kingdom. It's just talking about practicality. If God's going to start something in the area, he's going to send an apostle first. And then after that, he'll send someone to the office of the prophet. And then you'll see the different strategy God has to either start something in the area, restart something in the area, or start a specific part of that thing. So it's not talking about who's more important. Paul just talked about 1 Corinthians 12 that we're all important. That the eye can't say to the big toe, I don't need you. And the nose can't say to the eye, I don't need you. No. Some of you don't even think about your big toe until you stub it in the middle of the night. And you remember how important that thing is. 
it's, we're all important. Whatever place we are in the body of Christ, we're important. Say, I'm important. Say, my neighbor's important. Say, that Christian who gets on my nerves is important. We all have a place. And so you get to 1 Corinthians 13, and it's talking about walking in love. It describes, especially verses 4 through 8 in the Amplified Classic Edition, it makes it very clear about how we are to live in love towards one another. But let's go to chapter 14, verse 1. Follow or pursue, run hotly after love. But desire spiritual, see, there's again, gives italicized, desire things relating to the spirit. But rather that you may prophesy. So what he's going to talk about now is not just spiritual gifts, but things relating to the spirit. Because we see two spiritual gifts are diverse kinds of tongues and interpretation of tongues. But speaking in tongues is not a spiritual gift. It is something that relates to the spirit, though. So he says, desire all things relating to the spirit, but especially that you may prophesy. We talked about that a few weeks ago, what that means and how you can do that, which means every believer can prophesy. And for the sake of people who weren't here a few weeks ago, prophecy does not mean tell the future. Prophecy is a supernatural message in a known language. And God wants to use every believer to give supernatural messages in known languages. It tells you later it's for the encouragement, the building up, and the comforting of others. Verse 2, for he that speaks in an unknown tongue speaks not unto men, but unto God. For no man understands him, howbeit in the spirit he speaks mysteries, means divine secrets, plans, and purposes. In verse 2, who is the speaker talking to? God. Is he talking to someone else? No, it says, when he's talking to God in tongues, he's praying out mysteries, divine secrets, plans, and purposes. When you're walking through the scripture, it's important, who is he talking to? And you're going to see different groups of people he's talking to, even in the same chapter. But he that prophesies speaks unto men, to edification, exhortation, and comfort. So if I'm speaking in tongues, I'm talking to God, but if I start prophesying, I'm talking to you, right? How many see that? Verse 4, he that speaks in an unknown tongue edifies himself, or he builds himself up, he strengthens himself, he charges himself. In other words, say he's built his spiritual house higher and higher and higher. But he that prophesies builds up, strengthens the church. I would that you all spake with tongues. So see the will of the Holy Ghost expressed through Paul here. God wants every believer to speak with tongues, which means it's possible for every believer to speak in other tongues. But he didn't say that every believer will operate in diverse kinds of tongues. But it's possible for every believer to speak with tongues. He says, I want that you all speak with tongues, but even more, I want that you all prophesy. For greater is he that prophesies than he that speaks with tongues, except he interpret that the church may receive edifying. What is Paul's purpose here? That we all profit together. We all become better together. So we don't use tongues as a way of saying, see, I'm more spiritual than you. No. That's not what it's about. It's about us all getting better together. I remember I had a, I went to a Christian school in the area. I grew up, I went to Landmark Christian School. And there's multiple different denominations, and one of the biggest were Southern Baptists, followed by Charismatics and Methodists and other denominations. I remember one person, we were talking about praying in other tongues, and I was talking about how most of the majority of our kids and kids world could speak in other tongues. And he could, he was a teenager, so I couldn't get it. So you're saying you have seven years more spiritual than me? I was like, no, 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 it's not about being more spiritual. A lot of people try to make this is the test 
of spirituality. Can you speak with tongues? That's not what it's about. You know, speaking in tongues is just a gateway to the supernatural. It's not the test. Because a lot of people who speak with tongues who are a hot mess. They speak in tongues with a lie in English. <laughs> speaking in tongues is not a spiritual test. It's just at that moment, they yielded and let God give them a prayer language. See, we have to stop letting gifts of the Spirit be the markers or the hallmarkers of maturity. The church at Corinth was a hot mess. If I ever did a verse-by-verse -verse study of uh, the book of Corinthians, I'll call it Church Gone Wild. Paul said they sinned worse than sinners in the city. And the sinners in the city were like, man, those Christians really know how to sin. And Corinth wasn't a conservative place. It wasn't a place that was known for its morals. Corinth was the Las Vegas of the day. It was Las Vegas 3.0. The phrase back then was that if you had a wild Friday night, you acted like a Corinthian. So the Corinthians would say, man, those Christians, man, they really know how to turn up. And it wasn't in a complimentary way. And so Paul is correcting them. But this church came behind in no spiritual gift. They operated in all the gifts of the Spirit in an overflowing way. Sometimes wrong, but a lot of times they were right. What happened? It wasn't about their maturity. It was just at that moment they yielded. One of the things the church of Corinth had going for it is they believed that God could and God would use them. So they said they came to church ready to be used. It was a difference in a consumer culture. A lot of times we come to church ready to get. Now, it's okay to come to church expecting to receive a word. But the church at Corinth also came ready to give, ready to assist. So that is a positive they had going for them. They are ready to give. And so Paul is laying out order because the things of God are in decency and order. Now, notice what he says here next. Now, brethren, if I come unto you, speaking with tongues. Now, who is he talking to now? The church. Is he speaking in tongues to God? No. He's speaking in tongues to who? The church. So who he's talking to has now changed. And a lot of people, when they try to talk about tongues, they miss the part of there's different types of tongues. There is the personal prayer language that's between you and God. As you laid in First chapter 14, you can sing in that prayer language and worship God or bless God well. But there's also diverse kinds of tongues where it's a supernatural message in an unknown language. What is the interpretation of tongues? Interpreting that message into a known language. And so if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall it profit you? Remember this part, chapter 12, referencing that. How is that going to make you better? How is that going to cause a whole church to increase? Except I speak unto you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine. Notice what came before these, the message in tongues. So that means a message in tongues can come forth, and after that, a teaching can come, or prophecy, or revelation. Now let's skip down to verse 13. And when we go there, one of the things I would like is when I, would, I had read books by, you know, John G. Lake, I referenced him already, but Smith Wigglesworth. You know, one thing I realized this week I was thinking about this message is that, you know, a lot of my Smith Wigglesworth books my grandma gave to me. When I was like 14, I had these Smith Wigglesworth books I was going through. And one of the things I noticed is how he preached and the way he used his syllables was different when he was just preaching than when he was speaking in tongues and interpreting. 
his natural education was limited. But someone diagrammed the way he spoke on a normal basis versus when he would interpret tongues. And they said the way he interpreted tongues was of a higher educational background than he had. It was the gift of the Spirit. And so when you would look at that, you'll see as he's interpreting it, revelation was coming. Teaching was coming. Encouragement was coming. It was building up the body of Christ who we were speaking to. So you get to verse 13. Wherefore, let him that speaks in tongues, well, back to verse 12. Even so, ye, for as much as you are zealous of spiritual things relating to the Spirit, seek that you may excel to the edifying of the building of the church. Wherefore, let him that speaks in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. What, what is it then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also, which means the normal way I speak. It might be English or whatever your natural language background is. That is the language of your understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. So, I can pray in English. I can pray a little bit in Spanish. You know, I'm not as good as I used to be. I can pray in the Spirit. And either way, I'm praying to God. But I can also sing in all those ways. And it's still effective in praying to God. And we should do all of these things. But notice the difference of prayer and singing to God and speaking to others in an unknown tongue. So if I'm speaking to someone else in an unknown tongue, so if I operate in diverse kinds of tongues, I should pray that I should interpret tongues. Now, when I think about this verse, I think back to a little bit over a decade ago, and I was still a student at ORU, but at times, because I had already gone to ministry school, I would speak in local churches. And I remember one church I was preaching in, in Missouri, and I was preaching, and, you know, diverse kinds of tongues would come out. I'd give a message in tongues, and I'd let someone else interpret it. I was like, praise God, y'all can interpret it. And it went well, but I could tell God was pushing me out. Come on, you need to interpret. You, uh, but, you know, that wasn't something I kind of wanted to do. It seemed I had more faith to give a message in tongues. But it took a little bit more faith for me, for whatever reason, in my mindset at that point, to interpret it. So I remember one time I was there, and I stood up and gave the message in tongues, and the pastor began to interpret. They said, well, Carrick, I think you got the rest. I'm like, great, he put me on the spot, like literally on the spot. So the whole congregation is now looking at me. Now, mind you, the first two rows— the Copeland family and the Brim family. And I'm like, if I miss it, those two rows will know. So these two rows are them. The other two rows are my friends who came up with me from ORU. I'm like, oh, Holy Ghost, help me. And so I interpret. And it rhymed. That was not me. I'm like, there's no. One of my friends said, oh, we know that's not character. It rhymed. But what was it? The gift of the Spirit. And so he was pushing me out to step out that way more. And so I did that a little bit then, but then, you know, after I graduated, moved to Texas, and I got back into my ways of, I'll give a message in the tongues, but I'm going to back away. Yeah, Bishop Butler wasn't a fan of that. And so, you know, he interpreted, but before that service was over, lay hands on me, tongues and interpretation of tongues. I'm like, all righty, God, I won't run away from it anymore. And since then, I just yield. Now, one of the things I learned from Bishop about interpreting tongues, he says, everything is by faith. Everything's by faith. Sometimes God will give you one word. Sometimes he'll give you three. But you have to take out a step of faith and say that one word, and other, other words come. Everything with God deals with faith. He doesn't bypass your faith. He works with your faith. 
Verse 16, else when you shall bless with the Spirit or in other tongues, how shall he that occupies the room of the unlearned say amen at your giving of thanks, seeing that he understands not what you're saying? For verily you gave thanks well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. So imagine that we got Thanksgiving coming up and you gather around that Thanksgiving meal. You could really give God thanks over the meal in tongues. And God said you did a good job blessing the meal and giving it thanks. But if, you know, Uncle Joe and Auntie Shaquita and Brother Paco, they don't speak with tongues. They think, what happened to my family this year? I just want some fried chicken and some turkey. And for those of you still like that pig, the honey-baked ham. Why are they speaking in this language I don't get? Now, Paul said, you did it well, but think about who else was in the room. Notice Paul's mentality. Think about who else was in the room. So let's skip down to... Verse 23. If therefore the whole church be come together in one place, and all speak with tongues, and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say that you are mad or that you are crazy? But if all prophesy, and there come in one that believes not, or one unlearned, he is convinced of all, he is judged of all, and thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. So once again, notice who he's talking to. He's not talking about us speaking in tongues to God in a time of praise and worship. He's talking about, so imagine being a first-time guest. And we have such a wonderful hospitality team, wonderful nurses out there, parking lot crew. Notice, what if they, instead of saying hi, they start talking to the new guests in tongues? And just waving and smiling, just speaking to them on the tongues. You know, they would like, if they weren't having a Pentecostal charismatic background, they're like, what? They would think you're crazy. They said, well, maybe they just, you know, they said, well, every church guy, well, maybe that person's just off. Maybe I missed it. Maybe there was another language I didn't know. But then they walk in, the hospitality team started talking to them in tongues. I'm like, oh, well, okay. And they walk by an usher, and they try to direct them to their seat in tongues. Most of them wouldn't stay that long. Some of them was like, oh, this might be entertaining. Let's go see what happens next. Others were like, you know what? Mm, I tried Jesus. Nope, nope, didn't work. Time to go back out. I don't know what church I found. Because who are they talking to? But it says if an unbeliever walked into a church and everybody was giving a supernatural message and a known language that builds up, encourages, and comforts, that person would fall on their face and say, God is really here. It's about who you're talking to. So it doesn't say, well, you can't speak in tongues in a public assembly. It did not say that. It says you're not supposed to be talking to other people in tongues without an interpreter in a public assembly. That's not what you're supposed to be doing. So when we look at diverse kinds of tongues, it's a supernatural message in unknown language that is ministered to the people, which should be followed up by interpretation of tongues. Interpreting into the known language so everybody can receive the edification, the building up, or the comforting, or the encouragement. Now, there are times in public assembly where we worship in other tongues, or we pray in the Spirit, because we're not talking to other people, we're talking to God. Now, there's another side of tongues relating to things of the Spirit that you see in Acts chapter 2 and other places where the Holy Ghost will move and you're speaking other tongues or going to diverse kinds of tongues and you'll think you're speaking a supernatural message, but you've actually translated, you spoke, start speaking a human language. That can happen as you yield to the Spirit. I remember one time, I think I was up here, I think we was praying, we're in a prayer meeting, so we're praying in the Spirit and praying in the Spirit, and I have limited knowledge of languages. I know English. I know Spanish. 
My kids are learning Mandarin, so I know what words they've talked to me about, and that's about it. And I know a little bit of French. And so someone came up to me, and they told me what dialect of, of a tribe in Nigeria I said something in. I wouldn't have known. To me, I thought it was tongues. I can't say it's Greek to me because I took a Greek class. I wouldn't have recognized that word at all. They said, but in that language, you kept saying, go, go, go. Huh. What was that? Part of diverse kinds of tongues. Something that you saw in Acts chapter 2. But the more you yield, the more opportunity you have for God to use in all different ways. I remember one time there was a church part of my family was going, and they had a prayer meeting. They said, hey, why don't you come up and lead prayer? And so I began to pray, and they wanted me to pray in the Spirit. And so I just began to pray in other tongues and just prayed out what was in my spirit. And I don't know, I was like 20, 21 at that point, and praying it out, and I went into diverse kinds of tongues. I didn't realize it, but I said what was peace. I had peace in my spirit. I was done. So I handed the mic, and the pastor came and interpreted how did I even get to a place where the message came out? I was just yielding. So there's different types of tongues. Don't rule it out just because someone used it badly. Come on. You don't rule out chairs because someone took a chair and hit somebody upside the head with it once upon a time. You still believe in chairs, don't you? I can see y'all looking comfortable. Y'all still believe in chairs. Just because someone misused tongues, don't rule it out. It is still for today. The personal language will build you up. It will strengthen you. And when diverse kinds of tongues come forth, it will build up and strengthen the church. All things should be in decency and in order. But don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Yes, people have have used so many things wrongly. People use the Bible wrongly, but don't throw out the Bible. People said things that Jesus said, and Jesus didn't say that. Don't throw out Jesus. Don't throw out tongues either just because some person did not understand. And we've all known those super zealous people who have no knowledge whatsoever. They just be, they're just happy to be saved. They're just happy they ain't going to hell. So they will talk to anything that moves and breathes. And they may try to talk to everything that moves and breathes in tongues. And you know a little bit better. And what you have to be is like Aquila and Priscilla, the Bible says, who they took him aside and showed him a better way. That's what they did to Apollos. That's how Paul's became even more effective. He was gifted, but he became even more effective. When Aquila and Priscilla said, hey, come here for a second. Man, what you said, that was great. But let me tell you a little bit more. We all have to be willing to be the Aquila and Priscilla to others. Be full of grace and restore others and build people up. The point of the conversation, Colossians 4, bring out the best in others. And so it is God's will that every believer speaks in tongues. God's gift to the world is salvation. God's gift to his church is the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the Bible evidence of speaking in other tongues. But a lot of times people say, well, I tried and I couldn't and I feel bad. I'm not that spiritual. Stop feeling bad. Stop feeling guilty. You don't have a right to feel guilty. Jesus bore your guilt. You don't have a right to feel ashamed. Jesus bore your shame. But when you put so much effort on, oh, I got to do it to prove myself or prove that I'm spiritual, it's going to be hard for you to yield and receive. One of the things I've also seen with people who are actually very intelligent and know a lot of natural languages, they try to approach tongues from the natural standpoint of how they learned all these languages. And I tell them, hey, no, no, not here. It doesn't come from here. Tongues doesn't come from here. It comes from here. And one of the things that occurred to them, I prayed for you, received it. But at one point, you're going to yield, and it's going to come out. So don't stress. Don't stress about it. Just let God speak through you. It's power, and you need the power in this time. One of the things is we're not, the message is not about praying in tongues, but one of the things praying in tongues does 
it helps you to pray when you don't know what to pray. And if there was ever a year to pray in tongues, it's this year. You're like, I, what, what's happened? What, two hurricanes in the Gulf? What? What I even say? You know what? Tongues. That's what I say. And pray. And yield. And pray. And yield. And take it by faith when you pray in tongues. Because the thing is, when you pray in tongues, you're not going to know what you said. But you take the answer by faith. You take that blessing by faith. Because he said, you blessed well, you prayed on mysteries, I take it by faith. I take my answer by faith. It's all faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. Amen? Thanks for watching today. We hope today's message was a blessing to you that empowered you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Hey, if you want to be a part of what God's doing here at Faith, you know, our vision statement is to ignite an awakening that impacts Georgia and influences the world through the power of the love of Jesus. And we'd love for you to be a part. You can find out our different experience times and our different locations by going to FCCGA.com. If you want to give, you can text FCCGA to 73256. You can also go to FCCGA.com to give online and be a part of what God's doing here. We'd love to see you anytime you're in our area. We believe God has something good just for you. And anytime you come to our faith experience, we believe you will experience God and his plan for your life. So thank you for tuning in today. We'll see you next time.